Hello, and welcome to the Neff Canyon Ward podcast. My name is Tyler Slade, and I'm excited to bring you all the cool people of our neighborhood and ward. The goal of this podcast is for all of us to get to know each other better, to create unity through sharing our experiences with others in the gospel. Okay, we are here with the Fredericks, and uh, we're excited to... to uh, to interview the Fredericks and, and talk a little bit about them. But let's let's begin. Uh, Barb, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from. Uh, okay. Get us up to speed on who Barbara Frederick is. Well, I was born in Superior, Wisconsin. I've lived there till I was married. Um, um, I uh, came to BYU. My mother sent me out to BYU when I was a freshman. 18 and um, very homesick. Um, so my second year, I stayed back, actually stayed home in Superior, worked and went to school. Went back my junior year. Luckily, they accepted all my credits. And then I did graduate from BYU in political science and history. And um, That's fun. in between there, I did get married. And I graduated actually almost the day I had Rebecca. So Rebecca was our first child. Great. So how many kids do you have? I have 11 children. 11 children. And grandkids? Yes, I have 66 grandchildren. And I have five great-grandchildren. That is so awesome. I wish we had a video of the, the picture they have in their uh, living room. with. You got everybody in there except how many? About seven grandchildren. Isn't and that about right? This, seven. This is just a mural that goes the length of the room. It's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> so mm-hmm. where, so you, you went to BYU. Uh-huh. Okay. And that's My, where you guys met. No. No. Um, that's uh, where her, her mother hoped she would find a husband, but <laughs> you had to settle for me. <laughs> I we were not members of the church. Her. We were not members of the church, and when I was about seven years old. The sister missionaries came to our door, and because my grandmother had died at the age of 50, and my mother was very close to to her mother, she was more receptive to listening to other things. She wondered why her mother was taken at such a, a young age. And also, I don't think she would have let the young men in, but because they were sisters, she let them in. They told her that she, they had a book about the Indians. She was, she was a reader and loved, so she was interested in reading and learning about this. She read the Book of Mormon immediately. Um, my family, my grandparents, um, my uncles, we were, we were quite close. They were very unhappy with her being involved with Mormons. So my dad told her to pay the dollar. They charged a dollar for the Book of Mormon in those days to give them the dollar and tell them that they didn't, that she didn't want to see them again. And she was going to be obedient to him. And when the sisters came to the door, I think they stood, stood at the door for three hours talking back and forth. And she knew that it was true. And um, so uh, she went through a lot because my family was my dad, my his parents, my uncles were very really thought my mother was crazy. And but 
she knew it was true, and I'm proud of her. And well, well, I wanted to be a part of that. How too. old were you at that point? I was about. I was baptized when I was about eight, okay. nine, okay. nine, yeah. and um, she was. She was baptized. Her mother was baptized in '49, and Barbara was baptized two years later. And uh, you know, her father succumbed and let her mother be baptized, but it was on the condition that neither of the kids could be baptized. Interesting. And, uh, you know, Barbara pleaded with her father to be able to be baptized, and finally he succumbed and allowed her to be baptized. And uh, subsequently her brother got baptized. Mm -hmm. And one of the conditions her father made was that if they had any more children, they could be baptized. And she had one more boy, and he was baptized. Is that right, honey? Yeah, it was. Um, it was. You know, I knew we. My dad and my mother went to the Pilgrim Lutheran Church, which which was a beautiful building, probably one of the prettiest churches in Superior. But you know, when I stepped into that labor t temple where we met, I knew that I wanted to be there. That I, I knew at that young age that it was true. That that's what I wanted. And the labor temple was. Uh, I don't know if you know much about that, but it's, Teamsters, uh, the Teamsters Union, and it was you had to sweep it out, get rid of the cigarette smell, which yeah. you could never get rid of. But that's where the church met. In oh, really? Yeah. And so she was. She's just saying she compared the Labor Temple to the Pilgrim Lutheran Church, and, and she you know, still said, "I want this." <laughs> yeah. yeah. Barbara yeah. still said, "I'm in on this." You know, even at a young age, you can have a spirit that you know something is true. And you've never looked back from that day. Oh, no, never. I'm very grateful. So grateful. So grateful for my mother. And I had a wonderful father, too. But he was more led by family and friends than maybe by, you know... More by friends and yeah, social things. And family. So you met Tom. How? Well, I'll give you that part. Yeah. So I... I was raised about 25 miles from where Barbara was raised, out in a little tiny town of about 100 people. We didn't know each other we at all. We didn't know each other. And so I went to a, a rural high school that was a new high school. Uh, and uh, I graduated and I started college and um, spent, uh, spent some time playing football. I didn't play football in high school because we didn't have a football team. It was a new school, but I tried out for the football team, and, and I, I actually where got was a that? What school was in that? Wisconsin. Yeah, and then University I, of Wisconsin. There, yeah. a branch. Yeah, mm -hmm. and um, I, uh, I ended up getting a scholarship for football, um, and I played played football the first year, and it was a whole new environment for me because I grew up, sports was my thing, and. Even though I wasn't taught gospel principles, I was taught uh, principles to be able to be an athlete. <laughs> so I didn't smoke and didn't drink. Uh, probably had a few beers during my high school years, but it was rather rare. Uh, but this and he had wonderful parents. They weren't members, but yeah, this high, but this football people. crowd was pretty crazy, and I was. I could see myself falling into that lifestyle and knew that I needed to do something different. So I ended up with another fellow going to Seattle, Washington. 
to sort of get my, well, we were intending to go to Alaska to make our fortune. Sure. But we were in, in an old dilapidated car. We got to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. That we knew that car would never make it to Alaska. <laughs> so we, we just kept going and ended up in Seattle, Washington. And my friend ended up going back to Wisconsin, and I stayed. And uh, I, in my training at Boeing, I was sitting next to a young man from Kalamazoo, Michigan, who was there to earn money to go on a mission. And so we had some conversation, and uh, there, there was a group at, I was staying in a boarding house, this lady let me stay there because I had no money. She let me stay there on the, on the come that I'd pay her when I got my first check. And while I was staying there, there was these uh, Pentecostal kids that tried to get me interested in going to church with them. So I, I went once and maybe twice, but I was pretty uncomfortable there. Uh, you just didn't feel the spirit. I went to church, to the LDS church, with this uh, young man from Michigan, and I went on a fast Sunday. <laughs> and so I just had this experience of going to the Pentecostals where they would all go down front and do their thing. And I go to the LDS church, and people are standing up around me bearing their testimonies. Mm-hmm. For some reason... I felt good about that. I mean, there was something about being there that was different. And so then I took six missionary discussions, boom, boom, boom. They were about a week apart, and I joined the church right after the sixth one. And I think what was a real blessing to me was that my friend went back to Wisconsin. I had none of my crony friends around or my family around. I made the decision basically on my own. And... uh, that's how I got started in the church. And uh, for some reason, I felt like I was being taught things I already knew. And so it was kind of familiar to me. So when they asked me to be baptized, it was an easy decision. And then I went back to Wisconsin, and that's when we met. Uh, after that, uh, she was in the branch there. Unfortunately. By this time, um, we worked so hard in Superior too. We had bake sales, we had dinners, we did everything to get money to build a chapel. But we just didn't have the priesthood in Superior yeah. that we needed to yeah. do this. So uh, it was decided by the leaders that Superior should join with Duluth. So Superior and Duluth are called the Twin Ports. Cause the They're big, right next to each other. The big boats come in. It's, it's, it's a beautiful area with Lake Superior. Uh, so we, most of our years, that's where I met him, was in Duluth, in the branch. And um, it was a little house that they could sell as a home. The only thing in it that they did have was a baptismal font. font but um, And then they built the nice chapel on Upland Ro- Upton Road. So, but the, the interesting part about that part of our life is that when, after we met, I was called to be the young men's president. I'm 22. Mm-hmm. She's called to be the young women's president. She's 21. Perfect. And we're dating. Mm-hmm. And so, wow. a year later, we got married. And we had to drive out to the Salt Lake Temple because that was our temple. 
all the way. That was the, that was temple. the that, temple. We in were in the Salt Lake Temple District, District. and that's 1,500 well, miles from What here. would have been the other one on the east? Would that have been Washington, D.C.? That wasn't built yet. No. There so, wasn't anything. Wow. And yeah. we, we went through the temple by ourselves. Well, I shouldn't say by ourselves, but um, we had a friend in Duluth, um, Pat Holmquist, who had family in, in Utah, so she drove out with us kind of as, a, as our chaperone. And um, then he had a couple friends living in Salt Lake. And when I was here my freshman year at BYU, there was a family that uh, from Bountiful that came to BYU to find me and because um, they knew about me. And they knew about her because their son was a missionary back there and thought he had eyes for Barbara. And so I think they were just trying to help their son. <laughs> but I became very close to them. Uh, they were like a second mother and father to me. They didn't have any daughters, and they were, have always, were always so good to me. And, and they went through the temple with us also, even though and they were and I good did to me. not end up together. They were good to me, even though I got who they wanted their son to have. <laughs> so... Really good people. So tell us about, like, did you, did you want a big family out of the get-go? Did you both decide we want a big family? Because how did that come together? You, you, you go ahead, honey. Well, uh, being impressionable young people, we, two families moved into the, the Duluth branch, and they each had six children. And we loved those families. One was from Utah, and Tibbetts were from... Idaho. Idaho. And we just thought they were, were so great. And so we thought, well, that's, you know, what we should have. We want that. And um, then we had Kimberly, which was our sixth. And we are finally living here after having moved many times. We moved about 15, 16 times. And we were living here. And I don't know. It was just... One time we were going out somewhere, and gee, I was able to get ready, and I was even waiting to go, and I thought, well, this isn't fun. I'm used to being hassled, and <laughs> so, I don't know, we just, and I kind of thought, I want another child, and I thought, maybe one more, and then Deborah came a little bit quicker than we thought, and then you just... I don't know. It, it just happens. Nate was so. our ninth. Yeah. And um, I don't know that we ever really talked about not having children. And so we ended up having children until the Lord decided mm -hmm. we couldn't have any more. We really thought there'd be a 12th, um, but it just never came. Wow. So. One of the things I wanted to tell you about was uh, my testimony of service in yeah. the church. We've been married six months. I'm 23. She's 22. She's pregnant with our first child. And I'm sick. I always get sick. She was, she was sick with everyone for about four months to oh. five months. So anyway, um, it's January of 1966. We were married in August of 1965. And I'm the young men's president. She's the young women's president. And they made a change in our presidency there, the district presidency, like the state presidency. And 
I got called to be a counselor in the district presidency. And my testimony of service is that I was now giving a talk somewhere almost every weekend. Our district was 350 miles north to south, 150 miles across, and we were traveling to a branch every weekend. We had no money. I don't know where we got the we money. We never had money. buy the gas. But having to talk and be involved in church leadership, I have a testimony of that's what welds you to the gospel, welds you to the church, and helped build your testimony. Because it was during those years that it's like we knew, we always knew, but we became firm and solid in our knowing. Absolutely love that. Barbara, how did you weld the kids to the gospel? Oh, my. I have to tell you one little thing about before I talk. It was cute because my mother was always in some big calling because it's just a little branch. They need everybody to do everything. And so she did a lot of traveling. And I I know she would always say that she was so blessed because it was a big area that like I know she was the state uh, district young women's president at time and had to travel like to Barron and that and she made the statement one time that she was so blessed she never got a flat tire or anything if sometimes the minute she got home or something and my dad took the car he got the flat <laughs> so she felt she was always so blessed yeah. to um be able to get back and forth safely um so I'm going to back just back up before you go on answer his question the reason I was called is because there was nobody else to call. I mean, it wasn't that I had qualifications. It was just that the priesthood was sparse enough that, you know, you're going to have opportunities if you just show up. But, but we had, I, I have such fond memories of being, of growing up there. When I was at BYU and the girls are getting ready for dances and everything and they could run home to Salt Lake and their mothers would help them or they could get a new dress. I thought, why wasn't I born in Salt Lake in this? But you know, when I look back, I am so grateful for where I came from. It was, a, you know, there's, as, as in each ward or branch, there's always that core of people that you become so close to. None of them were our ages. I mean, when he was called to the district presidency, Bud was probably in his 50s, and and Brother Clark was in his 50s, and all the women I associated with were older ladies. But I love those ladies, and they were such a, a great... Ex- My mother and those ladies were such dear people to us. I mean, and in fact, the Duluth Chapel... Our reception was the very first thing held in that building. It wasn't even really completed. Oh, wow. And so we have a lot of fun memories of that building. Now, with children, I have a hard time answering that because I think I'm a very um, imperfect parent. But I loved them, and um, I yelled. I screamed, but I, um, I, I think we tried to make the gospel important, and we went to everything, and they just naturally thought they'd go to everything, and I, I, I don't know 
what I would say that I think we did any differently. I guess we were very, I feel that we were very blessed to have 11 spirits in our home that are not perfect children. We were not perfect parents, but we desired to do what was right. And I felt that they desired to do what was right. And that was a blessing. I love that. Tom, how would you answer that question? I mean, what, what do you think, you know, because obviously you've done a wonderful job with all your kids and grandkids mm -hmm. and just amazing family. Mm -hmm. Well, what was the, how did you make that happen? I would, I would say one, I'd say a general statement I'd make would be they came as good spirits and we didn't so screw it up. up. We didn't <laughs> screw it up. But I would also say, you know, the talk that uh, was given in conference, the rabbit talk? Who gave that talk? Elder Stevenson. Elder St Gary Stevenson. That was so great. I, I, I view my wife as a person like that girl that was taking care of the rabbit that our children felt that love from her because she was there with them all the time. She nursed every one of them. I mean, they were laying, I mean, it's she and I and whoever she's nursing in bed together, you know, and she could sleep through the night and have that child at her side all night. For some, somehow she never suffocated one of them. <laughs> Wow. You know, it was just an inherent, wow. inherent mother, motherly instinct that she had that I think uh, provided the foundation for those kids feeling love coming from a parent. So when Nate came to you and said, Mom, I don't want to go to church today, what would you say? How, what did you, how, I mean, I'm sure Nate came to you and said, Mom, I don't want to go to church. <laughs> Do you ever remember? You know, Tyler, I was, that Mike. You know, we. Are you saying Nate never I, did that? <laughs> I can't think Nate, of one nothing, of our No, none. We we were truly blessed. I know the Lord blessed us. I I do not take any of this as as me or Tom. I I think we were truly blessed with good kids, and we loved being together. I love being with them. Now it's my greatest joy. Um, and I would say, besides the Gary Stevenson story, she's a gatherer. Yeah. She has the kids around her on a regular basis. I mean, all of our kids would say, Mom, she, that's her greatest joy, when everybody's together. And then they not only get it from their parents, but they get it from their uncles and aunts and their cousins. And so you kind of build this culture of uh, everyone wanting to go on a mission, everyone uh, feeling they want to be married in the temple. And uh, I think those are things that just become part of, the, of your family. So how often would you say you get that entire group together? Because I mean, you guys do this... I mean, for the, the size of the group that you have for your family, mm -hmm. you guys get together pretty frequently. I mean, it's, we do. It's an I would thing. I would say the whole group is together at least thirty days a year. Yeah. I mean, and it might be like it's seven days in a row if we're off together somewhere. That has to be quite hard. And this is close yeah. to a hundred people now. Is that right? <laughs> well, it That's, is a hundred yeah, people. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah it's over a hundred with the great grandkids. Yeah. Because we have people coming to the cabin now that. 
are including granddaughters with grandkids, with great-grandkids. And um, I, I strongly believe that if you don't get together often, you lose ground. You, you don't stay close with people you do not see, whether they're blood relatives or not. You, you need to be together a lot. Which is why we need to get back to regular We do. We need to get to back face. together to normalcy. Yeah. No, I believe that. Like, I was with my girls today, and next week we're doing a luncheon with the daughters and daughter-in-laws. And... Um, yeah, she gets together with the daughter. They go on a girls' trip every year. Just the daughters. Yeah. They look f so forward to that. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I believe what Elder Bednar said about the church, where he says, "If you don't gather, you begin to scatter." Yeah, I think that's true of families as well. That's a great point. Well, and I'm, I'm, I think we are also very, very fortunate in that you hear the horror stories of the mother-in-law. But you know, I have, and I say this more about the women because I think the women are kind of somewhat the controlling force in a family. And I have five, well, I have six wonderful daughters that love I love being with. But I have five wonderful daughter-in-laws that are so supportive of my trying to get everyone together. They are tremendous. They, if I call and put something out, they normally try to come, That's and great. I'm I'm very blessed, or I should say we are very blessed. That's great. And I have five wonderful son-in-laws, or six wonderful son-in-laws. Tell us about five. your uh, your mission call and that experience a little bit. Well, it's kind of an interesting story, and uh, I'll give my version. Um, I was called into the state presidency in 2000, and uh, I I was. I was told that, hey, you're on a list, you may, may get called on a mission. This came through the state president, just to see if I'd be willing to, to could do that. And so 2005 came along, and, you know, this is five years, and we're kneeling as a state presidency almost every Sunday morning, praying that there will be senior couples called out of our state, be willing to serve out of our state. Sure. And so, you know, I'm getting close, I'm getting to be 60 years old or so and thinking, hey, there's no reason that Barb and I can't go. I mean, I'm not going to sit around and wait to be called as a mission president and then it never happened and we don't go on a mission. So we talked about it and decided that we should go on a mission. And so we put in our papers to serve as a senior couple. And uh, we got our call to go to the London South Mission. So London I'm South. President Becker is London South. And um, President Becker is the stake president, and I'm his counselor. So I call up President Becker and say, uh, Well, Barb and I got our call. And he says, Well, don't say anything to anybody. We hadn't told our children, they knew we had put our papers on. Sure. He said, don't, don't tell anybody because there may be something else going on. So um, we get a call to go meet with Elder Scott. And he just lived down the street down here. And so we go visit with Elder Scott. And Elder Scott says, 
would the two of you be willing to go for three years? So now we're talking about May yeah. of 2006. You know, mission presidents get called like six, eight months ahead. Oh. We're 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 yeah, we're getting well in June, right? We're, yeah, we 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 got called actually uh, May thirtieth. We went to see President Faust after Labor Day. Yeah. Wow. Because the 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 apostle interviews you if you're willing to go, but doesn't call you. And he said you'll be getting a call from a member of the of the first presidency. So you know. We're getting all <laughs> anxious to know what's going on. I'm sure. In fact, he had to go out of town, and, and he had to do it. And he says, I'll come right back if we get a call. But so we get back, and we it's don't hear anything. So now it's after Labor Day, so now we're pushing uh, June. June. And so we get a call from Elder President Faust's office to come meet with him. And we get go into his office, and he reads a letter from the meeting of the First Presidency and the Council of the Twelve. And he and it it's our approval to be called as a mission couple. Wow. And where to? Scotland. But pretty unusual because what had happened was a brother Summer Hayes was called to go serve as, as the mission president. And his wife was having some issues, and so they couldn't go. Oh. And so we're called the 1st of June to be at the MTC the last week of June. Wow. To go for three years. Wow. <laughs> and uh, Got to get your stuff in work quick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, that was, that's how the call came about. And uh, Wow. Tell, tell them about how your feelings about but, not having to think about it a long time. But again... <laughs> I think the Lord is so kind. Because I think if I had had eight, nine months to think about this, to leave this family, which is my life. Sure. I might have gotten sick too, like I think Sister Hay Summer Hayes did. This is sure. what I had heard. Sure. So I had no time to get sick or yeah. to worry. I just had to go. Yeah, do, do, do. And so I felt the Lord was so good to me. Wow. Because we, the kids, some of the kids bought our cars because, you know, for a year and a half you can leave the cars, but then you can't leave them if you're going for three years. And, and Nate lived in here and Jill lived in here. And it just kind of, I mean, it, well, again, these were tender mercies. And um, Scotland was a beautiful place. And we were very fortunate to to go there. Yeah, we were really blessed, really blessed. Yeah. So we've had many, many blessings. That's and fantastic. we are not perfect by any means. We have many, many, I have many fallacies, and uh, but we have been so blessed. Well, it's interesting because you go back to when we were young, we, and I was called, I was ordained an elder by a mission president. Because of being a district, I was called to be in the district presidency by a mission president. And you thought they were, you know, they were one step away from being in the 12th. In Wisconsin. Yeah, we were yeah. in Wisconsin. But, sure. You know, we looked up so much to mission presidents. Yeah. We could never even fathom that we would ever be a mission president. Yeah. And so it was really a humbling experience to be called and 
I mean, your life goes before you and mm -hmm. you feel so inadequate and somehow the Lord... I asked you this question before, but I want to ask it now on, on audio. Um, Barbara, what, what motivates you to follow the law of the gospel? What motivates you to follow this wonderful gospel? Well, uh, I know my answer is very simplistic, but since I was seven, I knew that it was true, and I wanted to be a part of it. When I was in high school, college, I mean, the gospel was my life. I mean, growing up, um, I didn't date other boys. I mean, I had opportunities to date some pretty cool guys, but I didn't because I knew I wanted to go to the temple. In many ways, I look back at that as, and have a regret because there were some really fine young men that asked me out, and I maybe could have shared the gospel with them. So I, I feel I was very selfish, but the, the gospel was my life. Um, we were very involved. I mean, uh, my mother was very involved, and it was just my life, and I just, I loved I, I love the life of the gospel. And um, to this day I do, and I hope that I endure it to the end and will always feel that way. Love it. Tom, how about you? Well, um, I can remember after I joined the church, and you make changes in your lifestyle. And I thought to myself, even if the gospel isn't true, uh, you couldn't live a better life if you followed these principles. And so I, I hung on to that for a while, but then you, as your testimony grows and you become more solid in the gospel, you know you're, you're living it for reasons beyond that because you know you're trying to please your Heavenly Father. But as you have a family and you have these children and you realize that there's no more happiness that can come in this life than from living the gospel. And so you look at all these children and grandchildren and you want that for them so much, you don't want to disappoint them by them thinking that you're not loyal and true to the gospel. And so part of what drives me is to, to try to be the best example I can be so that they have the same desires that I have. And you want them to be happy. I think, Barbara, you mentioned that. Mm -hmm. yeah. You want them to be happy. You do. That is your greatest goal in life. And you realize, certainly, this is a hard life. I mean, there are many ups and downs. We all experience them. Um, but the only true happiness comes from the gospel, and it even makes the ups and downs, or the downs, easier, and the ups higher. Uh, I mean, it's just a wonderful way of life. Yeah, and then the I, final... Final is that hey, this is the means of being together forever. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, the ordinances and obedience allow you to live together forever with the people that you love. Yeah, yeah. and in fact, we were as I said, we were. I was with my daughters today, and we were just having lunch down at Jill's house, and um, we were talking about the church. And Rebecca, my oldest, was saying. That I and it's true. I never had to ask her to go to mutual. She just wanted to go. And Lisa was saying the same thing. Um, and the ward offered so many fun things for them. 
Uh, it was, it's, it's been a great ward, great people. We have been so blessed to live here. This, this home, <laughs> this has been a 45-year project. Uh, this home, you should, anyway, it's been a lot of work. But we were so blessed. I think the Lord just directed us up here. And it has been such a wonderful area to raise our children in. Yeah, we thought this would be a fixer-upper, sell it, and move somewhere. And often on Sunday afternoon, we go for a ride to see where we're ready to go. We look in Pepperwood and find a yeah. home that uh, we. No, I'm pretty sure if there was a for sale sign in front of this house, that there would be a lot. There would be pitchforks and tar <laughs> and feather. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we always came back home to this ward and thought, "Hey, we can't leave here. We can't well, leave the area." Well, and you know, we had Nate's lot. We bought that. Yeah. it was from Velux thinking, you know, we might just build. And, of course, you know, we didn't. And then we bought the lot above. Where Seth lives. Yeah, where Seth lives. And we thought we, we spent tons of money having plans drawn up. And I'm the coward. I um, just can't do it. Just couldn't do it. I don't blame you. And not that this is a perfect house, because there's many things I'd love to have, but... No, it is we a have perfect... To stay. It's yeah. a perfect home. Maybe not a perfect house. Maybe not. That's it. It's a, yeah, and it's it's home to the kids. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Well, well uh, Luke, do you have any other thing? Well, no, I just, I mean, I, I keep thinking about that question about um, you asking how they've welded their children to the gospel. And for me, from an outsider's perspective, it's really simple to see. It's just the gospel is part of who you both are and and who you were as children and just... That's who you are. And for your kids, I think they're blessed to have that those anchors in their lives to just give them clarity of path. And you guys are that example for them. Thank you. I, and I told them when I first walked into this house uh, one night delivering a, a pie. And banana I, cream pie. Banana cream so pie. And, uh, Lois made. Lois made that. Yeah. And I, I, I was just brought it over and I saw that picture of their family on the wall and that was so impactful to me yeah. and i've told so many people about this wonderful picture so come up and you just come up and check out this picture <laughs> this is amazing but i'm going to ask just the last question we'll finish this up um barbara in a hundred years uh hundred years from now your posterity uh is listening to this interview what do you want them to know about you Well, I think I would want the same thing that my mother said in um, in her little book that she wrote. That I want my kids to know that I've always known the church is true. That I am grateful that we are led by a prophet. That it, the gospel has blessed my life immensely. I'm so grateful for temple marriage, for temple ceilings. And for the principles that the gospel teaches me and that I know are true and that I want to follow. I love that. That's perfect. Tom? Um, I would want them to know that I felt like uh, the Lord was with me to help me find the gospel, find the true 
gospel of Jesus Christ, that I know that the Savior came and lived and atoned for our shortcomings and illnesses, our sins, and that but through repentance and obedience we can be forgiven. That all through my life, after I found the church, two wonderful things happened. The most wonderful thing was I found Barbara. The church led me to Barbara. While I was serving in the district presidency, we went to uh, northern Minnesota to find an elders quorum president. It just so happened that his father had founded an explosives company in Salt Lake City. And we called him to be the elders quorum president and he hired me to go to work. And so not only did I find my wife, I found my vocation through my membership in the church. And then over the years, I think of all the great men that I've had the privilege to be around. Now it includes the two of you. But I can name district presidencies, state presidencies, branch presidencies twice, bishop bricks three or four times, high councils three or four times. As you go through, the, through life and you're mingling around all of these great people, some of it's bound to rub off on you. <laughs> and I know that I wouldn't be nearly who I am, and I still fall far short if it weren't for the associations with those good men. And so I'm so grateful for that. And so that's why, that's one of the reasons I would say to my posterity, serve. When you're called to serve, serve. Because there are so many, you serve to bless others, but more blessings come back to you in that service. And uh, I would hope that they would take the time to find out for themselves if the gospel's true. Because the Lord is no respecter of persons. You can't live on somebody else's testimony, but you have the full access to the Holy Ghost to know for yourself that it's true. Avail, avail yourself to those opportunities through prayer, reading scriptures, serving, and being in church. Because you never know when the influence of the Holy Ghost is going to testify to you of the truthfulness of this work. And I would guess that's probably happened to me over a thousand times in my lifetime of service in the church, or just being at church, being at an event, and hearing somebody else's testimony. I mean, I think, you know, and that's, I think, what I pray for, for my posterity all the time, is that they will have experiences that will provide them a witness of the truthfulness of this work. It's fantastic. And I would like to add, I feel, um, for me, I feel that I, I put the family first. Many times I, I didn't go to camp because I had babies and, or girls camp and all this. I, because I felt he was always having to be gone or that it was my responsibility to be home. 
and to be with the kids. And many times I have felt in my life that I should have done better to do more of this out stuff, but I just didn't have maybe the to do it all where I could feel I was of service to my children and to do everything. But I have loved this gospel, and I I grew up in a city of, of, of spirit was about 35,000, and I will always say, I always thought how blessed I am of all these people and many that I knew and loved, but I was so blessed to have the gospel in my life. And that, and I had wonderful girlfriends and friends, but I had the gospel, and in, I, I was so proud of that, that I, I, that I was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I love that. Thank you so much. This has been fantastic. I truly feel the spirit, Luke. I mean, it's, it's strong right now. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.